Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we look at a book of the Bible that's often skimmed over and misunderstood, yet has massive implications for today, and that is Jude. Jude's appeal for the first century church to fight for the faith is also for us today, but we must love the gospel and love the church to take this appeal seriously. Based on Jude's profound love for the gospel, and incredible love for the church, he's obligated to write. He has to write. Well, welcome again to In Doubt. Hope you're all well today. Uh, we're well into the fall now, so if you're in school, um, I hope the semester's been good. Uh, anyways, my name is Isaac. I host In Doubt. It's the show that seeks to bring the gospel to the relevant issues of life and faith that we face every day, cultivating conversation. All of our interviews with guests from around the world, our articles, and our Bible study can be found at indoubt.ca. Also, if you didn't know, we've created many resources around the topic of a Christian perspective on recreational marijuana. Now, if you want to access any of that, just head to indoubt.ca forward slash marijuana. Now, today's a unique episode, and I'm excited to share it with you. A while ago, I was asked to share at a Bible college during their chapel time. Now, when they had asked me, InDoubt had just finished their Bible study through the book of Jude. Now, I'd spent months writing the study, and, you know, we spent a whole day on top of a mountain filming the five sessions, uh, so the material was very fresh in my memory. So, what I shared to this Bible college wasn't what you would call exactly an expositional sermon, but rather a, I kind of just looked at Jude's purpose for writing the letter that he did and then based my points off of that. You'll understand uh, more when you start listening. Anyways, I won't take up any more of your time, so let's go ahead and listen to this message on Jude. There's a book in the Bible that we as a church today, I believe, at least in the West, at least in the West, that we just can't handle. There's a book in the Bible I just don't think we can handle. It's looked over a lot of the time. I'm sure that, you know, in your Bible reading plan, you've sort of just skimmed through it. It's often misunderstood. Much of its contents, like I said, just skimmed. And I could be wrong, and if I if you think I am, come again, come talk to me. I'm going to be open about it, but I just feel this way. But it's the letter written to the first century church by Jude. By Jude. How many of you would say that you really have a firm grasp on what Jude is all about? Like you would say, right? <laughs> Well, some of you actually do know, and you're just too humble to put up your hand, which is awesome. <laughs> the reason why I say that this letter is, you know, is seen as irrelevant, the reason why I say that is because I'm not sure if our hearts today can actually like, grab onto its core purpose. I'm not sure if our hearts can align with what exactly Jude was getting at. I'm not sure if we're prepared for what God through Jude has written for us. For context, Jude is writing to the first century church, not just because, not just because he wants to be heard, because he wants to make a name for himself. He doesn't have a website with his name, ministries.com. It's always a little bit weird to me. He's not trying to do that. He's writing to the first century church out of obligation. He's obligated to write. He must write. Based on Jude's profound love for the gospel and incredible love for the church, He's obligated to write. He has to write. But why? What for? What is, what is Jude saying? Uh, if you have your Bibles, open with me to Jude chapter 4. 
or sorry, chapter four, verse four. There is definitely one chapter in Jude. Jude verse four. This verse gives us the reason for why Jude is obligated to write. This lover of the gospel in the church, this is why he's obligated to write. I'm gonna read out of the ESV. Uh, Verse four. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God in sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. He's obligated to write because the gospel he so dearly loves, the gospel that we sang about and before the throne of God above, that gospel is being perverted. And he knows that a perverted gospel doesn't save sinners, nor does it build up or edify believers. If I came to you today, much of you already are saved. You know the gospel, you cherish it. If I came up here and told you a crooked, perverted gospel, it wouldn't just keep you neutral. It would actually de-edify you. It would bring you down. And he knows that a perverted gospel, it does not save sinners. It doesn't build up believers. In fact, any gospel that has any ounce of perversion in regards to God's grace or the person and work of Jesus, it breaks down the believer. I've seen it with my very eyes. A perverted gospel makes perverted people. Perverted gospel makes perverted people. I had a a dear Christian friend of mine who started to take in resources that were said, that were published in the name of Christianity, but it was completely perverted grace, not the true Jesus, and it destroyed them. It brought them to a place where now, that was like four years ago, it brought them to a place now where they are so far away from Jesus. A perverted gospel distorts your way and it takes you somewhere, completely somewhere else. This is why Jude is writing. Jude sees this going on in the first century church. Already the first century church, guys. He's seeing this already and he's devastated. And because of this false teaching disguised in Christianity. Because of this, he's obligated to write. You know, it's true, guys, like the idea of wolves in sheep clothing that, you know, Jesus talks about Paul and Peter in pretty much every New Testament book, except a few talk about false teaching. That reality is not old. It's not an old thing. It's not something we don't have to worry about today. It's, I mean, we shouldn't worry, but I mean, it's not something that's just gone and finished. There's still this part of us that we need to do something about it. You know, someone might say, well, you know what? Evangelism is more important. Saving souls is more important. But that's, yes, that's true. It is important, but we need to know the true gospel. That's why for a lot of you guys, you guys are training to be leaders in the church. We're going to be judged more because we're the ones actually proclaiming the gospel. And if you are, are proclaiming a gospel that has a perverted grace or not the true Jesus, then man, not only are you hurting yourself, but you're hurting all those that you see as well. Jude is obligated to write based on his love for the gospel in the church. So what does he write? What does he say? Look at verse 3, one verse before. He says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's profound. We're going to unpack it so you guys will all gasp because it's amazing. Jude is saying, firstly, that he simply wanted to write about the joys of salvation. How many of you, in in a moment of just meditating on the gospel, meditating on the person and work of Jesus, just wants to go to a friend and say, hey, isn't the gospel amazing? Like, isn't the gospel so, so good? 
Or maybe we need to see more of that going around. But that's what Jude wanted to do. And man, Jude's testimony, his literal brother was Jesus. We knew that, right? His literal brother was Jesus. He did not believe with Jesus during the time that Jesus was walking around the earth, right? But the testimony of Jesus coming back to life, the resurrection changed Jude profoundly. So now he's a leader in the testament. He doesn't even call Jesus his brother. He starts the letter with saying, a servant of Jesus Christ. That's humility. He, something has changed in Jude. It's so exciting. But he just wanted to write to them about the common salvation. But Jude found it necessary. He was obligated to write instead about something else based on the fact that false teachers crept in, have begun perverting the grace of God and denying Jesus. Jude appeals. We don't really use that word. So let me say he strongly or seriously urges the church to contend for the faith. Again, we don't really use the word contend much anymore, but what that means is to argue or state in a strong and definite way. Jude is telling us, the first, first century church, God is writing to us 2,000 years later, strongly urging us to argue and state firmly the one true gospel. And some of you are like, argue? I don't, I don't argue, you know? We're going to get into that a little more because I think Canada's culture has really hurt a lot of us in regards to this. And what's the object of what we need to be arguing? Well, the faith, not a subjective faith, like I have faith in this and this and that. No, 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 the faith, the one and only faith. And the reason why we know that is based on what Jude writes after, once for all. How many of your translations say once for all? Do you guys see that? The once for all, this Greek composition of words that we translate as once for all is found in five other places in the New Testament, all of which refer to Christ's atoning sacrifice, once for all. And Jude takes that and he uses it for the faith to say that atoning sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice was once for all. Amen, right? He doesn't have to be crucified every single time we sin. It's once for all, for all mankind, before, during, and after. Jude is saying this faith, this gospel is once for all delivered to the saints. You know, this is, this is, this is profound. It's not some progressive Thing. That's why I have such a distaste. I won't say hate, but I have such a distaste for progressive Christianity, the emergent church, because I'm like, you can't add anything to the gospel. It's done. Once for all, delivered to the saints. It's finished. It is complete. It's so cool that we can know and trust that the gospel that was written down by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, you know, uh, the writer of Hebrews, John, Jude, all these guys, this gospel written down by these saints is the one true faith. That's it. It's done. Everything in your word, it's there. Right? It's good, right? When Paul, this is really cool, when Paul met the elders of the Ephesian church, do we know the story? On the shores before he was going to Jerusalem, what did he say to them? He said this, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Everything. He was with them for what, two years? The church in Ephesus? Everything I gave to you. The one true faith. This gospel, this counsel of God, this story of redemption and salvation is complete in its content. And what we have is the Bible. And your guys' theme verse, you know, we can trust in God because we have his complete story right here. Everything we need to know about God, everything we need to know about ourselves, everything we need to know about being saved from hell is in this book. It's good. Now, I'm going to say this over and over again because it's crucial for the letter of Jude and for us today. 
Jude was obligated to write. He wasn't just writing because he wanted to. He's obligated to write based on his love for the gospel in the church, gospel church. And he's saying that the church contend for the faith because false teachers have crept in. And Jude's not talking about, you know, contend for the faith amongst the world with worldviews and other religions. No, he's saying in the church. In the church. Paul says they've secretly gotten in. Jude says they've crept in unnoticed. Peter says they've slipped in. Using these words to say that they have literally disguised themselves as sheep in the midst of the church. So can we listen to this appeal, guys? Can we read Jude as the church 2,000 years later in Canada, in the West here? Can we read to contend for the faith? Can we take that seriously? Can we do that? And I believe we can, but in order to fulfill this appeal given to us by God through Jude, remember, every book of the Bible carried along by the Holy Spirit, this is God's word for us, we must believe what Jude believed. So here's the thing. Firstly, above everything else, and I've said it multiple times, Jude loved the gospel in the church. Do you love the gospel? Do you love, when we were singing before the throne of God, were you like amazed at what Christ did for you? Do you love the gospel? In 2013, I was in a world religions class in one of the classes downstairs, and uh, Andy Steiger was teaching, and uh, he said to us, he's like, one of your assignments, some of you might remember this, I'm not sure, one of the assignments was to be one-on-one with his Buddhist friend and tell him the gospel. That was one of the assignments. And, uh, And everyone freaked out. Everyone freaked out. I have to be one-on-one with this Buddhist guy and preach the gospel. And not only that, but Andy just wanted us to come in front of the class and share the gospel. People were shaking in their boots, me included. Why? Well, do you really know the gospel? Do you really know the gospel, the true gospel? Can you say it clearly? Do you know it and do you love it? Do you preach it to your souls every single day. In the last three weeks, there have been two separate times when I've been praying, and the one thing that fills me most with joy amongst all the different circumstances that I'm in is the gospel. Is thinking about Christ's love for me, that he took my place on the cross and rose from the dead for me, for the church, for his bride. That will fill, if you're praying and you're just not getting anything, just think about the gospel. Think about Jesus on the cross. Honestly, that sounds so simple, but it's just so true. You need to love it. You need to love the gospel. Have you real with you guys? Sometimes Bible college can be the worst place for Bible illiterate people. I was one of those. I was so Bible illiterate when I came in. And because of the culture I was so scared that if I asked really basic questions, it would hurt my reputation. And some of you may feel that way. Some of you might. I think I knew about David and Goliath, something about a boat and Jesus when I came into Bible college. I had no idea. And maybe that's just me. But sometimes it can be worse because we're thinking more about a reputation than we are about the gospel. Bible college needs to be the place where you get the gospel. You know, I left Bible college not thinking that I had it all. Not at all, but at least I knew the gospel. At least I could go away saying, thank God for my friends, the community, the teachers that taught me the gospel, you know? Meditate on it, preach it to yourself, understand it, talk to others about it. This is the perfect time to do so. Spend time with Jesus. 
And secondly, do you love the church, right? Second question, do you love the church? You know, Canada has really cultured us to live an individual lifestyle, very autonomous. We want to do things on our own. Sometimes the church seems like the last place that we want to be at. We don't want to go gather with people. They talk weird. They, you know, they don't know as much as I do. <laughs> you know, they smell kind of funny. They have bad breath, all these different things. I don't want to be with them. Do you love the church? Do you spend time with them? And not just with brothers and sisters in your group, guys. I mean, I'm talking to like elders, kids. Like, do you spend time with the church? Is your weekly Bible study and, and your church gathering, whether it's a Saturday night or Sunday morning or whatever, is that the highlight of your week? Do you go to bed early on Saturday night so that you are attentive in the morning on Sunday? You're ready to serve. You're ready to sing corporately with your church. You're ready to listen to that pastor who's been working on a sermon for hours during the week and is now loving you so much that he's going to preach the word to you. Are you attentive? Are you listening? The Puritans had it right in regards to their Saturday nights. They took their Saturday nights very seriously and intentionally because they wanted to be so prepared for church on Sunday morning. Do you love your true family? Because if you are to obey God's appeal through you to contend for the faith, you must know and love the gospel and love the church. We have to come on board with you because we're not going to care about Paul's teaching whatsoever if we don't love the true gospel and we don't love the church. Why would we? Wouldn't make any, it'd be pointless. Okay, secondly, Jude saw false teaching, right? Corrupting the first century church. And you have to know false teaching is still alive and well today. And some of us are in denial about it, or we just, we throw it away. It's so relevant. We're like, yeah, I don't have the right. We say that I don't have the right to tell someone that they're wrong. I want to take you a little bit through this, okay? The moment you become ignorant or apathetic towards false teaching, then obviously contending for the faith, arguing for the faith becomes, it doesn't matter. You don't need to argue for something that you don't actually believe, right? The fact that God tells us to contend for the faith through Jude means that there must be something to contend against. And this is where it's important to realize that we can't let the cultural attitudes around us, their attitudes and their behaviors, affect our Christian beliefs and behaviors. And guys, this is so hard, <laughs> but we need to know it. The more culture pushes inclusivism and, and tolerance, and anti-religion thinking, then of course it's going to feel unnatural for us when we preach an exclusive gospel, an offensive gospel, telling someone they need to be saved by a sacrifice. Oh, in our world today, that's tough. Culture equates love and compassion, respect, all those nice words with tolerance and inclusivism, but that's wrong. Jesus was the most compassionate and loving person on this earth, and his salvation, what he preached, was definitely not tolerant <laughs> and definitely not inclusive. We must learn to be loving and compassionate people while upholding the one true gospel, and we do that by loving the gospel and loving the church. Your vertical relationship with Jesus, with God, is in direct, you know, obviously, relation to your horizontal relationships. It's kind of a silly little thing, but it's true. How we react to the church around us shows us our love and devotion to God and his gospel. See, the moment we begin to water down the gospel in order to provide greater you know, community, unity, and love, we've begun playing with fire. You know, Aquila and uh, Priscilla, how many know that awesome like ministry couple? <laughs> They're awesome, right? They were taught with Paul the true gospel. Now, Apollos, when he came over from Alexandria into Ephesus, he was preaching really well, but 
Aquila and Priscilla saw that he wasn't preaching quite the gospel, so they pulled him aside and they taught him the way more clearly. Do we see that today? A lot of us feel like, I don't have the right. You can do that. If you know the gospel and you hear it being preached off, talk to them in love and respect because of your love for them, not because you want to prove your way. Because of your love, because of their influence, you want to show them the right way. Back to false teaching. If you struggle with believing there is false teaching, then read the rest of Jude. Okay? He goes into detail of these guys, and it can seem really negative and rigid, but man, he's only doing it because he loves the church so, so, so much. He wants to help his readers understand that the prophets and the apostles and Jesus himself kept saying, there's going to be false teachers. Be prepared. Be warned. They are coming. Wolves in sheep's clothing, they are coming. But also don't be scared. Okay? I don't want to just be like, there's false teaching and you got to be worried all the time. Not at all. Paul teaches us to examine the scriptures. Right? I love the church in Berea. We know about this. When Paul and Silas were traveling through on their, on their missionary journey and they go to Berea and they start preaching to the synagogue, to all the Jews. And it says that the, the Jews in Berea were taking everything, they were eagerly listening to it all, but they were examining all of it back to the scriptures to see if it was really so, right? We need to be like that. You know, don't trust everything I say up here. Just because I have the microphone doesn't mean I'm gonna say truth. One of the best things one of my profs said at PLBC, in my first class for Pentateuch, was this, quote, probably only a third of what I say is actually true, end quote. The whole class is like, what? Why are you teaching us? And I, he, I, I mean, sure, there's some humility there, but it's true. Like, we are broken people. We have to examine everything to the scriptures, and we got to be that way. we got to be critical thinkers, biblical thinkers. You guys cool with that? Can we do that? Don't just listen to everything your profs say and take it as true. They are trained. God has gifted them. That's good. But just examine it to the scriptures. Check back to see if it really is true. Don't deny the reality of false teaching, all right? Um, if you are to obey God's appeal through Jude to argue and state firmly the gospel, you must know and love the gospel, you must know and love the church, and you must realize that there is a reason that you're going to argue, and that's because there is false teaching in this world. And we all love to poke fun at the big prosperity teachers, but there's more than that, guys. There's more than that. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. It's in our hearts, too. It's everywhere. Now, there's so much more, obviously, that we can get into in Jude. I mean, the letter is amazing. And again, some of you have probably maybe skimmed through it, but it, there's so many amazing things in here. He gets into how we can respond to others. He talks about snatching people out of the flames, and you're like, what is that all about? I'm not going to get into it, but again, come talk to me after. It's really interesting. But this is what I want you to go away with. As I said at the beginning, I don't know if we can handle this letter based on the fact that I don't think our hearts can resonate with it. I'm not saying that as an eternal condition that you're stuck there. I believe that if we grow in our love for the gospel, that we know the gospel, that we grow in our love for the church, then contending for the faith is gonna come more naturally. I say that to encourage us to take heart the gospel and the church. Later on in Jude's letter, he writes this, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We are to build ourselves up in this gospel, in this faith. We all know that building takes time, it takes energy, it takes focused work. We have to build ourselves up that way. And above all, and I wanted to conclude this message this way, our God is stronger than any perverse teaching, way stronger than any perverse teaching. 
He's even strong to save in the midst of false teaching. You've all heard about that, that worship leader who went around, you know, pretending he had cancer. It would be crazy to think that no people got saved at those concerts. God can work in the midst of, of, of wolves uh, disguised as sheep. He's also strong enough to keep you from stumbling in your efforts to contend for the faith. Let me finish with the doxology that Jude writes, which is one of the most beautiful, I think, in the New Testament. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That was a recorded audio message from when we were invited to a Bible college to share during chapel. You can actually watch the video of this message as well. Just head to vimeo.com slash in doubt and you're going to find it there. To finish this week, I just want to look at Jude's appeal one more time and it's laid out clearly in verse 3 of the letter written by Jude. It says this, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, we don't hear a lot of Christian leaders and pastors making this appeal today. But the reality is that the nature of the spiritual environment in Jude's day isn't any different than today. So think about Jude's occasion for writing this letter. There's a reason why Jude is strong with his appeal. And there's a reason he's calling the church to fulfill it. Think through some of these questions with me. Does Jude's appeal to contend for the faith or argue for the faith or fight for the faith sit well with you? You know, what do you immediately think of when asked to, to fight or struggle for the gospel? And why do you think that way? And would you agree that there's just as much false teaching today than there was back in the first century? I don't know, have you ever experienced false teaching firsthand? What was it like? What did you do? How did you respond? Our Christian culture often promotes unity and love and expense of sound truth or true doctrine. Does this upset you? Why or why not? And lastly, ask Jesus to give you a genuine zeal for the task of contending for the faith. So think, in what ways will I fight or struggle for the faith throughout this week? Now, if you're interested in learning more about the book of Jude, you can access our entire Jude for the Faith five-session Bible study for groups and individual use for free at indoubt.ca. And when you access it, you're going to find videos for each session. You'll find readings, a reflection, and questions as well. Now, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but everything we create and produce at Indoubt is given out for free. You know, our audio program, obviously, our articles, and our Bible studies, and our live events, all of it is for free. Now, the reality is that it costs us money to put the events on, to write the articles, to put up our podcast, all of that. We rely on the financial provision of God through many donors who partner with us to make this ministry happen. Perhaps you'd like to participate in this today. We'd be so grateful for your support. And if you usually do partner with us, we thank you. And if you're someone that would like to financially donate, then click the donate button and follow the simple instructions at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. We would love for you to connect with us online this week. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search us in doubt on any of those and you'll find us. Or you can also email us at hello at indoubt.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, definitely let us know. 
Well, I'm Isaac, and next week I sit down with my friend in ministry, Ben Lowell. We talk about dealing with stress, working through big transitions, and we also share with you some big news for In Doubt. We'll see you then. In Doubt Ministries exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.